Hey listeners, are you dreaming of the ultimate luxury vacation in the Caribbean? Look no further than BVI Sotheby's International Realty Vacations and Luxury Villas. Picture yourself in paradise surrounded by pristine turquoise waters and swaying palm trees. BVI Sotheby's International Realty offers a hand-picked selection of exquisite villas, each one a private oasis of indulgence and comfort. Whether you're planning a romantic getaway for two, a family vacation or a group retreat, LuxuryVillaBVI.com has the perfect accommodation to suit your needs. Each villa is thoughtfully designed and equipped with modern amenities, ensuring an unforgettable experience. But it's not just about the villas. BVI Sotheby's International Realty goes above and beyond to curate personalised experience for their guests. From private yacht charters to snorkeling adventures in the coral reefs, they'll make your dream vacation a reality. So are you ready to escape the ordinary and step into a world of luxury and relaxation? Visit LuxuryVillaBBI.com to explore their exclusive collection of breathtaking properties and start planning your extraordinary Caribbean getaway with BVI's Sotheby's International Realty. Hurry, paradise awaits. Book now and make memories that will last a lifetime. BVI's Sotheby's International Realty Vacations and LuxuryVillaBBI.com Your getaway to a truly unparalleled Caribbean experience. Some people work in nine to five jobs. I am one of the lucky ones. Somehow I landed in the dream job. Welcome to Tales of a Luxury Yacht Chef. Hi, I'm Lisa Mead, and for the past 27 years, I've been working on luxury super yachts in the Caribbean, the Mediterranean, and my home turf of Australia. I've cooked for royalty, heads of state, celebrities, and all walks of life. I'm going to be talking to crew, past charter guests, and loads of people that are connected to the global yachting community. We're going to hear amazing fun stories and also lots of useful information and tips. So welcome aboard. As a chef, I'm constantly looking for inspiration, new recipes, plating techniques, etc. My go-to social media platform is Instagram, and a page that I regularly stalk is today's guest, Chef Robbie Bellamy. Hello, Robbie. Welcome to my podcast. Hey, Lisa. How are you? I am great. I want to ask you, though, where are you talking to me from right now? Uh, So I am currently on the beautiful Sydney Northern Beaches. Which one in particular? Uh, Warrywood. Oh, between Warrywood and Monavale. I'm not quite on the beach, but, you know, five minutes, right? <laughs> for, for those that haven't been to that area, give the world some special highlights. What's what's special about where you are right now? I think everyone in the world has probably heard of Manly Beach. I think yes. it was, it's been voted number one beach uh, numerous times. So I am about 25 minutes north of, north of Manly. And Beautiful. And the... I guess it's a very chilled um, atmosphere. You know, if you walk to the shops without your shoes on, you don't get funny looks. Um, (laughs) That's a very Australian thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. So, you know, you can go to the beach for the day and then you don't have to worry about going home to get your shoes on to go get your groceries. (laughs) Sandy feet everywhere. (laughs) Now, you're not from Australia. Where were you born? Yeah, so I was I was born in England. Um, I think every now and then you might be able to. I don't. I, I get told I. Some people say I have a very Australian twang. Some people say no, you're still very English. I think <laughs> certain words I say 
kind of comes out differently. Um, so yeah, I was born in England, just southwest of London, a little place called Basingstoke, and I moved to Australia in 2015. Now, what was it gr- like growing up there in the UK? Uh, so in England, well, believe it or not, um, when I was growing up, the summers were pretty hot. You know, contrary to what most people believe, that well, is a shock. What England is now, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I remember as a kid, like we had, um, you know, your summer wardrobe, you had your winter wardrobe. Uh, the summer days were were long, shorts and t-shirts, you know, worn every day. Um, but yeah, I guess the global warming has kind of changed it now, and I yeah. think it would certainly give New Zealand a run for being a land of a long white cloud. <laughs> You know, there's a, a book, a childhood book that I used to read when I was a little kid called Millie Molly Mandy. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's probably for mm, girls mostly. <laughs> but my vision of, of England, you know, as a little kid was just everywhere had little thatched roofs and little villages. A few years ago, I got to actually visit a village like that. And it was just like, oh, God, this is such a flashback to my childhood. Yeah, but I'm envisioning where you were was very different. Yeah, I mean, like we we didn't have um, like the, the fire pits going in the houses, <laughs> um, which would have been quite nice actually. Looking back, you know that smell of fire just burning—it's like you know, a bit of nostalgia there. Yeah. Um, but no, summer summers were amazing. Um, just spent the whole time outside. But yeah, no, you can't do it now. It's 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 uh, it's not the same as it used to be. This has been no. like that. <laughs> so, who who inspired you with food when you were a youngster? Uh, so I don't, I don't really know. There was a particular person with my inspiration. Uh, I did, you know, I used to love watching the food channels on on telly. I remember every Saturday morning there was a show called Saturday Kitchen Live. Um, they did like live cooking. They had celebrity chefs on to do demonstrations. Um, but yeah, I mean, I always loved walking around the supermarket and 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 just looking at the the fresh produce. And I I still do now. Even, um, you know, when I go to a new country or even a different state here in Australia, I just love going into those smaller kind of boutique shops and Me just too. just see what just see what everyone's got. Like, it's amazing. You, you you think you've got this like vast knowledge of of ingredients and staples, which, you know, but then you go to somewhere brand new and you're like, wow, what what is this? Like, exactly. You, know, you, you give it a shot. It's just amazing. It's just food is always developing. It's just I love it. Oh, totally. Yeah, I I. Uh, last year I was I did a job in Fiji and um, I had the chance to obviously visit the markets and like you said, mm. it was just oh, it was just a festival of colours of, you know, fruit that I'd never seen before, some vegetables and you, you yes, never um, stop learning in our job, I think. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And I think that's important, you, you know, always make sure you keep on learning. And that, that's the beauty of being a chef, you can. I, I don't think there's a day where you don't learn anything. No, that's exactly right. When you were young, were there any any specific meals that you were a big fan of? Were you a simple eater, or did you were you quite exotic with your tastes? Um, oh, no, I, I imagine I was. I say I imagine it was me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I no, I would say a very simple eater. I think um, we would have kind of the same foods over again. I think most households do. I think I've read a quote. Or a statement that you rotate your food without even knowing. I think every ten days or something. So, um, <laughs> so I, I remember being a lot of microwaveable meals growing up. Uh, All parents, you know, I, I appreciate it now as a, a, a chef, but just to come up with new choices, new ideas, 
to encourage your kids to actually eat what was in front of them. I mean, God, my, my mother was a saint putting up yeah, with totally, totally. our fussiness. Yeah, totally. Trying to sneak in some vegetables and some health and whatnot. And uh, and on top of, you know, leading, lead, living a very busy lifestyle with work and, yeah, a lot of respect to, to my parents. No. <laughs> my mother used to try and smear Vegemite on the vegetables so that we'd actually eat them, which I think made it even worse. Oh, wow. I mean, yeah. yeah, right. That's, yes. uh, that's an interesting ta- tactic. <laughs> <laughs> Cover it in Vegemite. They'll eat it. Yeah, <laughs> Maybe yeah, not. Go down, go down the tree. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's certainly yeah, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so you obviously you finished school, and is that when you decided to get into a, a culinary career? Yeah, so I was I was pretty lucky actually. I knew I think I was like 13 or 14 when I developed an interest in cooking. And I think just from then I I was just said, yeah, I'm going to go to Cayman College, I'm going to be a chef. When I when I kind of made that decision as as a chef, you don't need any qualifications to get into Cajun College. So yes. I actually made my GCSEs very easy because I, I'm not, not saying I was didn't try hard, but I, looking back, I could have tried a lot harder. But oh, I, I knew that. You on that. I, I, yeah, you know, I, I knew that I was going to, I was into, into Cajun College regardless of what, what my GCSE results were. So it kind of made made it very easy for me. So, yeah, I finished up school and I went uh, straight into to Cajun College um, in, in Farbra. And uh, yeah, that was a, a three-year course. And then after you finished that, um, do you remember your first cooking job? After the first year of, uh, of Cajun College, we had to do a six-week work placement. Um, and I was I was really lucky, actually. I got placed in, in an incredible private golf club. Nice. Um, which it was, it was really the, the the best thing as as a young commie chef was was to go there. Uh, so then after the six weeks, they actually offered me a, a position as a commie. Wow! So I would go to college for a few days, and then I'd I'd work the the golf course for the rest of the week. How how were the kitchen staff with you? Because I know kitchen staff can be brutal on newbies. How were yeah. you treated? So again, like I'd never forget that the first meeting with with my head chef at that time, he said to me, and this is going back to when, you know, cooking days were, like you say, were very brutal. Mm. Shouting that people was kind of the norm of yep. you know, people, pots and pans, Brian, you know. Yeah. Um, thank God it's not, the industry is not like that anymore. No. Um, so, yeah, I sat down with, with my head chef and he said to me, I will I'll never shout at you. Um, I, all I ask is that you are in the kitchen 10 minutes before your shift starts dressed in you know in your whites you come with your knives prepared and you just try your hardest and he he, he never showered he and you know to his word and i made i made a, a big mistake one time mm. and again he just didn't shout then at the end of the service we kind of had a bit of a debrief and it was an incredible mentor to me it was a really good place what to, a fantastic to way to start your career how yeah. perfect is that yeah, it, it it was it was really really good. I mean, like there was a lot of repetition into into the work. So back then there was a lot of turned vegetables, baby veg. You know, there's mastering the the perfect mashed potato, <laughs> um, and you know these jobs were done over and over and over until it was perfect. Okay, and I'm going to stop I, you there for a minute. Give us what is the perfect mashed potato for those out there wanting to learn. So if you're if you're cooking it for you at home, like yes. regularly, don't do this because it's you'll die. <laughs> <laughs> you, you have a heart attack. Um, but 
plenty of butter. Of course. Plenty, plenty of butter and and um and some double cream. Ooh. Get the milk. The milk's too too thin. Go straight in with a cream of butter, add salt and white pepper. It's just as, as simple as that, but but plenty of butter. Yeah. When you think you've added too much butter, go in again with a plain amount. <laughs> <laughs> There you go, guys. There's that perfect mashed potato. You can all go and make it and um, just uh, go on a diet the next day. <laughs> yeah, make sure. And that's <laughs> like once that's one once a year. Okay, once a mass. year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Now, you, you went on to cook in five-star hotels and restaurants and a few food businesses. What were the type yeah. of food business that, that you were involved in? Uh, so my I guess my first dabble into entrepreneurship was, was actually when I was in school. I think I was about 14 years old. Wow. And, um, yeah, well, I say kind of dabbling entrepreneurship. So I'd actually go, I'd sneak out of school and uh, I'd go to the shop and they always had these, the big bags of Haribo will buy one, get one free. And they're 99p or like one pound. So you get two bags for a pound. I'd eat one. Then I'll go back to school and then I'll sell the other one for a pound. So I kind of like <laughs> paid itself off. And then that kind of like started this whole other, I guess I opened up some, some avenues where I would then go to to Costco for wholesalers and then I'll buy bulk buy some lollies and some sweets. And I just tuck them in my my blazer pocket and I kind of got known a bit of a reputation for being a sweet guy uh, around school. <laughs> Is that in every sense of the word or just with the lollies that were in your pocket? I think just the lollies. I'm like, I probably had a bit of a cheeky smile. <laughs> um but then, but yeah, the teachers found out and they had a bit of a stern word because apparently the canteen was lacking sales in the school. <laughs> so <laughs> I had to, uh, had to not go on on the head. Um, but to be honest, I actually ended up eating more sweets than I saw. So it's probably the best. <laughs> um, but the, but I guess for, for more, uh, for more real businesses, uh, in England, I had, um, a little sandwich shop nice. and then we did a little, uh, like a, a catering company out of the same place so we cater for weddings um and then more uh more recently in australia we opened up a little market store selling hot food called bellamy and co and then now i've just got kind of like my my private chef business which is is by far my favorite going back to you your sandwich place in the uk what was the 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 favorite sandwich that would sell like hotcakes um it was always it was so English people are kind of they know what they love and grilled chicken, bacon and cheese with barbecue sauce. Oh yeah. Just just flew. Just flew out of the door. Yeah. That and pe- and peri peri chicken as well. I made sure Ooh. mine was like super spicy. Because you know, like if you like spicy food, so if you can order peri peri, you probably like spicy food. Yes. So I, I made sure that mine, you know, when you when you ate it, you're like, oh yeah, that's 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 spicy. That's, that's, got what, a good we're, kick. that's what we're here for. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but then like you know, you've got the lovely freshness of a lime, which kind of balances out. So it's not like, uh, I don't know, it's not too extreme, but it's just yeah, good flavors. I think that'd be. I w- I would love to have a sandwich place. I think that'd be a great great gig. It's but you you don't really get them here in Australia. Like you do in in England, you can go to pretty much any any town or village, and there's always like one good, um, good place to get like a real good sandwich. I think I don't know, just. And I could be wrong, um, just here, especially in the northern beaches. I don't, there's not there's not anywhere where you'd be like, oh yeah, let's go eat there for a, for a sandwich. See, there's like, an opening there right now. You've just you've come up with this brilliant idea. Potentially, I mean, yeah. I got pretty over making sandwiches, to be honest. <laughs> 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 Maybe I could employ someone to do it. <laughs> yeah, there you go. 
<laughs> now, as you as you just mentioned a moment ago, you you headed to Sydney. What were your first impressions on arriving? So uh, initially, when I came to Australia, I was I, I was scared of everything. <laughs> I, was it the I, first remember, big overseas trip? Uh, yeah, pretty much. I mean, like we've done kind of Europe trips, but I've I've never I couldn't even imagine spending twenty four hours sitting on an aeroplane before I came here. I was actually petrified of flying. Oh god! Um, so yeah, that that flight it actually was a blessing for me because now. It's. I think you spend so much time on an aeroplane, you, you kind get of over get it. over it pretty quick. You're like, oh yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. right, whatever. Like, is this nearly nearly done now? Um. So yeah, I actually flew into. I started off in Melbourne, and then I remember walking around, and I was scared to walk under trees. I was convinced there was going to be spiders <laughs> or something. You know, like you just told in Australia, everything's going to kill you. You're going to die. <laughs> yeah, yeah, by by everything. But so yeah, once once I did settle down, and I realised that. Everything wasn't going to kill me. I mean, like some things will. <laughs> yeah. Um, but not everything. Uh, you know, yeah. the, the Australian people are so friendly. Uh, you, the weather is just beautiful. And, you know, like I live on the Northern Beach, the, the beaches are absolutely stunning. And so you, you moved to Sydney. Good choice. Um, where did you work to begin with? Uh, so my I I started doing agency work. Um, and my, my first job was actually a, a fly-in job. Uh, it was up in a place called Yupoon. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Yes, yes. Yeah, so we flew, got on this, I think it was the smallest aeroplane I've ever seen in my life, huh. up to Rockhampton. And, my God, you could feel every single bump on that plane. Was it one of those um, aircraft where you can see the captain because there's no sort of, you yeah, know, Yeah, yeah, no, it And, there's, yeah. you know, they're just like the, the tiny propeller. And I was like, oh, if I make it there, then that's a blessing. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so... Uh, flew up to up to Rockhampton, and then I think it was an hour east to to Yapoon to the, the resort, and that's where I okay. So I was I was still brand new to Australia as well, and I'll never forget this because I was walking to the kitchen, and I looked up, and this massive kangaroo is standing in the path. Oh, wow. and I'm talking, I'm talking about like the the massive ones, you know, the ones the big that you reds. see on like yeah, like the TV, but. You know, uh, it's apparently got in like six pack abs on it, and oh my god, his biceps were like huge. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, I didn't know what to do. I kind of, I just stood there. I was like, "Is he going to kick me? Is he going to punch me?" Like all these <laughs> thoughts go in your head. And I was like, "I really need to get to the kitchen." So I kind of did a bit of a, you know, went went round him. I gave him yeah. a lot of space, basically. <laughs> um, god, see, that was my first kangaroo. But up there was it was pretty crazy. There was like flying bugs in the kitchen. Not in a like a, a bad health hygiene way. No, just no. you know, you just got those bugs which are attracted to the lights. Yeah, yeah. the spider spiders the size of dinner plates on the walls, <laughs> and um, the the komodo dragons would come out every morning. We'd we'd roll them an egg, and uh, yeah, like those things everywhere. are huge, massive, absolutely massive. And this was all where I was just like, wow, this is this is really the the Australian experience I came for. It oh was, my it was god, incredible, but scary at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that, I mean, to balance all, dealing with all of that and being in a new job would have been pretty uh, freaky. Yeah, it was. It was terrifying. And you know, like when you start a new job, it's kind of nerve wracking. Is because like you're there, you 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 told your your person, you know, your chef that you can do this, so you can do that, and yep. then it's time for you to shine. There's no there's no like easing into it as a chef. No. It's like you can you can either do what you say or, or you can't say. So you know, there was that pressure, and then yeah, when. You kind of try not to get eaten alive by a Komodo dragon. 
beaten up by a kangaroo. <laughs> God. <laughs> it was uh, it was it was good fun. It was interesting. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Now in our industry, you know, everybody has a moment where something you've made didn't quite pan out, but it's kind of yeah. how you sort of turn it around. Have you got any of those examples? Yes, I mean, like, fortunately, I've never had any, like, major, major fails where, mm. you know, it's it's a sack-worthy offence or something like that. You know, yeah. you've, as Seth, I think you have plenty of the small-scale ones. I think everyone's been in a position, you know, like, as a as a junior chef or, you know, you're a CDP, you mid-service and, you know, your, your head chef's on the pass playing up and he says to you, hey, Rob, where's you know, this or that, where, you know, where's where's the garnish for this dish? And then, right. you know, that that moment where it just suddenly sinks in that you haven't cooked it and you're just like, Ugh. oh, my God. And, and you know, you just say, yeah, yeah, like 30 seconds, chef, no, like, sorry, just just run a bit late. And you, you like, you do whatever it takes yes. to, to get that element on the pass. I'm mean, like, within, if you can get it in within 45 seconds, amazing. But, and I think you learn to... Uh, to, to quickly learn to be able to say, yeah, yeah, no, no worries, chef, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, <laughs> in, in that like super high stressed environment. But, Ugh. um, but like I guess the the biggest um, I guess error I, I've ever made was when I used to work in, you know, it was a very open kitchen in a restaurant in London, like the whole kitchen was exposed, yeah, um, which was great for the customers to see, you know, they could see the food being prepared, being cooked. It's kind of interesting. It was back when like. Food was kind of becoming like trendy, and yes. everyone was starting to get into it and, be, and you know become home chefs. Yeah. Um. So this restaurant was in the CBD, so like Saturday nights weren't really busy. It was more of a Monday to Friday kind of fair. So this right. was a Saturday night service. We literally just opened for dinner. We had one table two come in. So they sat down, they placed their order, and I was working on the fish section. Mm. And you know, you know when like you kind of at that beginning stage of service where you're still doing a little bit of mise en place. Yeah. And then you can still kind of cook until it becomes like, you know, you've got four, five, six like checks on, and then it's yeah. okay. Like, you need to focus on the solely on the cooking. So I put the pan on and I kind of like, I was, I, I carried on with my prep. I completely forgot about the pan and then I turned uh, it on fire. Oh, God. So then, like, stupidly, the worst thing you could do is what I did. I put it in the sink and oh. I turned the tap on. Oh. And this thing just like, oh. just a fireball came up, and I was like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> hey, the, uh, the, the smoke alarm went off in the restaurant. We oh, had no. It was so embarrassing because there was like <laughs> only two two customers and like oh, God. All, all the staff were outside. But yeah, I guess it was quite fitting because that that restaurant itself was uh, one of the first fire stations they built in London after the Great Fire of London. Wow. Um, and then it was converted into restaurants. So I guess like they'd seen plenty of uh, of fires in there. In their time would have been so entertaining for the industry. for the guests though oh i think it was up until <laughs> they had to leave and then and, and, uh, the restaurant filled with smoke <laughs> yeah that's impressive i i, I definitely <laughs> uh add that to the the top of the list of uh interesting situations it, it wasn't my finest hour that's for sure <laughs> oh trust me i i if i i always say if someone says they've never had an error then they've completely fibbing everybody has 100 yeah, percent. yeah yeah now it's something that i've always wanted to do and uh you have is run a market stall uh where was yeah. it and what were you selling so that was um just around sydney it was you know i think we did wednesday thursday friday saturday and then the occasional sunday just wow. various spots around um around sydney 
So we sold these kind of like field flatbreads uh, with like some halloumi. We did like a fried chicken, a grilled chicken, uh, a couple of different burgers and some salads. Nice. And if I was to give one advice, it would be don't do it. Don't have a, <laughs> a market store business. <laughs> um, Is that just because it's so competitive? Uh no, I, look, it's very competitive, and there's nowadays there's there's a market every corner of yeah, you know where you there's so many of them now that um it kind of dilutes the your income coming through because yeah, you, pretty yeah. much. I mean, like when when I started the market still, I I loved it. You know, mm. I I love to be outside. It's why I, I stayed in Australia. It's such an apple country. So yes. to be able to make a living outside was was amazing. Like my enthusiasm was so high, and it seemed you know the sky was the limit with my creativity. Yeah. Um, but it, it's an extremely hard way to make money because because of the factors which are out of your control, which would make your you know your day, your week, your month successful or not. Um, and the the main one is the weather. Right. So, so there's there's a sweet sweet spot. Uh, there's a sweet spot temperature for having a very successful day at the market selling hot food. So you got to imagine this, okay? It's a weekend. Yeah. You look outside and it's slightly overcast. It looks like there could be a little bit of drizzle, but, you know, it's not too cold. You can go outside with pants and T-shirt, whatever. But it's, it's, like, it's certainly not beach weather. And right. it's not cold enough or rainy enough to warrant a sofa day. So what do you do? You go to your local farmer's market and buy some food. Absolutely. <laughs> But those days, they, you know, they're few and far between. Um, right. I, I, I understand it now. Like, who really wants to eat hot food on a blazing hot day? And yep. who wants, you know, who wants to go out to a market when, you know, if it's raining, you could just order who greets. Digicel is gifting more than ever before this Christmas. With up to $30,000 in prizes, we will reward your preference with weekly drawings where you get iPhone 15, $500 cash and free postpaid service for one year. And a final big prize of a family cruise for four. It's easy to win. Switch to Digicel this Christmas and get more any use data, entertainment data, and endless Digicel to Digicel local calls with LTE smartphone for $0. This is the season to get more value and more rewards with Digicel. Don't miss the chance to win thousands of prizes with our Grinchmas Wishes promotion. Hurry to the store. Join now Digicel BBI, gifting more than ever before this Christmas. Will winter's good for you? Because, I mean, so winter in, in yeah. Sydney is not super, super cold. Yeah, so winter was always, the, you know, where you wanted those colder days yeah. without too much rain. And, yeah, winter was always the best. But. During my my three years of of um of running the soul, we had back in twenty twenty some serious bushfires. Oh yeah, um, and the 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 air pollution in Sydney. Well, I mean, all over Australia, it was just it was just terrible. It was Ugh. it was so bad. So that that was a real challenge. And then straight after the fires, which I mean was a blessing because we had all the rain. We had like the floods literally straight after, and then. We had COVID, so oh, it, was, it was just like I couldn't get a break. Like for, for you know, for three years, it was always, always such a challenge. It's um, it's it sounds biblical when you when you when you're saying it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like they look so nice as well when you walk around the markets. You think, oh, this would be a really good way of making yeah making a living. It's just friendly and it's um 
No, it's not. Well, that's good. I've just up. marked that off the list now, Rob. Yeah, I'm not going to do it. I, I don't think you should. Do. The thing, <laughs> the thing I miss the most though during the, you know the three years was I, I miss being a chef. You know, yeah. I, I miss the, the thrill and the rush of a Saturday night service. Yeah, I even miss like cleaning fillet steaks. You know, making socks, teaching junior chefs. You know. Yeah. I, I miss cooking food that wasn't designed to be served within, you know, four or five minutes to, right. to customers. Now, we we kind of touched on this a little while back, but um, you do catering. What's been like a real special moment for you uh, with catering jobs that just sort of stands out for you? Uh, so, I mean, I definitely the I, I've witnessed some some amazing sunsets. Um, you know, I, I I'm fortunate enough to be cooking, do a lot of cooking out in, in Sydney Harbour on, on Super Yacht. Uh, um, and just for, you know, that backdrop of the, the Harbour Bridge and the Opera House, you know, we've had some super moons. And just, I know, just when, when you know, when you get those orange sunsets, it just kind of goes down. Yeah. And the water, I don't know what it is about Sydney Harbour, is stunning. And it's just so peaceful and relaxing. And it, it's just, it's just absolutely beautiful. Um, and even uh, more recently, my time over in Indonesia, again, there was, um, you know, the sunsets are absolutely amazing. We, we set up uh, in Lombok, the, the dining table was actually on the beach. Ugh. And so they, they, they just kind of sat and ate as, for, you know, the sunset there and, you know, got the barbecue going. It was just, yeah. I mean, like, there's so many amazing things that I've been able to do. That I tell tell us more about the recent job in in Indonesia. Uh, so uh, Indonesia was it was um, an incredible experience. So I was asked by a fitness retreat company called Salt Escapes to be their private chef for a couple of their vacations. Mm-hmm. Um, the first one was in Bali, and then the second in Lombok, which is like a small island um, off the, off the mainland. It takes about two hours to get there on a bit of a dodgy ferry. Um, so yeah, basically the brief there was just great tasting food with plenty of protein. These guys are they do two two workouts a day as well as like Pilates. Um, so it was really important to for their recovery to have like a high protein um, uh, like food. So you know, so we wanted to serve at least six or seven different dishes each each buffet, so for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Uh, so before that trip, I'd never actually been to Bali. So when I was doing my planning in Sydney, you know, I came up with at the time what I thought was a menu I could basically go anywhere in the world and serve. It was kind of like for me a like a fail safe, like right. Um, and then anyway, I arrived in Bali, and then the first day I had a look around the shops to start the provisioning, and then I was a bit taken back by how hard it was to find certain things. I was just uh, going to ask you how difficult was your provisioning. Yeah, it, it it turned out to be the most challenging thing because um, then all, all the the ingredients which I kind of planned to work with were all kind of like Western style ingredients mm-hmm. where they're more expensive than, you know, like Harris Farm here in Sydney. Or mm, it, God. It, and it was just, yeah, so all my planning basically in seconds just went, just melted away. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, I mean, like we... For example, like the the beef fed is mainly imported from Australia, right? So the price point is so high. The vegetables that I wanted to to use weren't available, you know. So we had to adjust with local veggies. Yeah, I mean, I had to do it on the fly. Like so, the, like the first two days were, were really hard because it was just like, wow, quickly, like 
become an Indonesian chef here? Like, what can we work with? What can we get? So, so each morning when I when I send the provision off to to the shops and stuff, I would just have to say to him, "Can you just get like a couple of you know whole fish, large fish, you know, ten chickens, whole, um, and then just basically like whatever vegetables you you can get, just just bring them, and then and then it was in the afternoon he came back with food, and then that's when. I could say, okay, so for dinner tonight, we're cooking this and then like lunch the next day and then the next day we'll do it all again. So it's very much like you, you couldn't play it because even if I said to him, oh, do you reckon you could get, you know, some some snapper today? He, he would say, oh, I don't know. It depends on what the market has, at, you know, the fish market. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and I always say that chefs that do what you do, uh, you know, or what I do, you, you could – literally go on a cooking competition where it's secret ingredients because your job oh, is yeah. basically that it, it's that yeah it literally is it's like just what what can you get and then suddenly bam you're cooking for like 20 people <laughs> yeah you just, got, very you just gotta make it happen you know like it goes back to saying you told us you know you told these people that you can do what you do and you gotta you gotta make sure you can back it up absolutely is are there provisioning agents that can if if the uh you know, if there's enough finance in the budget for, you know, they're they're very particular about wanting beef or lamb or whatever. Are there provisioning agents yeah. in Bali that can assist you with that process? Yeah, uh, no, definitely. There, there is. Um, I, I know of one provisioning agent that um, we could have used, but it was only it was like a week in Bali and a week in Longbox, so there wasn't really enough time to right really settle down with a provisioner. Be like, okay, so this is. This is where we're at with a brief, you know, like obviously we've got to look after budgets. That's one of the main things we do as chefs. Yes. Um, and like that was the the advantages of of uh, doing business in Bali is you, you can get hold of some pretty cheap ingredients as long as it's their local, you know, their local produce. Right. And the chicken was of of fairly good quality? Um, the, the chicken was chicken. So hardest things I found about, Indonesia was actually the food safety elements. Mm. Like there was a time where um, a, a chicken came to the kitchen and the it was still the breast, moving. Well, not quite. <laughs> <laughs> it's it started cooking. So the, the breast, you know, when you start to cook a chicken breast, it kind of turns white. Yep. Um, so as I was deboning the, the breast, I noticed that this this chicken breast had actually half cooked in the sun, oh, and it no. was like, okay, we need to we need to throw this away. We need to kind of come up with another way where I can guarantee the safety of, of the guests. That was one of my biggest things. Oh, God, yeah. Uh, cooking in Indonesia was making sure that the guests were safe at all points, at all right. times from, you know, from a safety point. Yeah, that, I mean, especially with, you know, the, the water contamination, it's, yeah, that would have been a, a big concern for sure. But did you have any time to actually get out and have a little explore in between meal preps? Um, there was, I suppose, in like the afternoon. So typically, my day started around six a.m. I'd yeah. go to the kitchen, have a coffee, uh, give a breakfast, set up, and then after breakfast service, I'll prep the lunch and then try and do some dinner prep. Just so there was that space, uh, that time in the afternoon where I can maybe like lie in the sun um, and and relax a little bit. Because I think if you if you go into it thinking in your head that you can work from six a.m. till ten p.m. Yeah, you, you you're gonna burn out pretty quick. So, I I thought if I would treat it as if it was like seven split shifts, 
Yeah. Then you know that time in the afternoon, just to just to switch off, forget about you know that high pressure um, environment that that you're currently in, and it, you know it was, uh, that was like very important to just to get a couple of hours in the afternoon. So I did get to relax in the sun. I I, I got quite a nice suntan, um, <laughs> which was awesome. You know, I came back to Sydney as I like, hey, look at this, I'm, I'm more tan than the Aussies here. <laughs> but um, in terms of like Stormy Island, I, I didn't really get to see too much, which um, which is a shame. Yeah, yeah, you have to go back and be a a, a tourist at yeah. some point. Now, um, yeah. when you when you're not cooking, when you're back in Sydney, what what do you like to do for fun? Uh, so my main hobby is I love snowboarding. Ah, like, I, I could snowboard. So you can't do it year round, but if I could follow the snow, then I I definitely You'd would be a happy camper. Hundred percent, yeah. So um, you know, here in Australia, we've got the snow mountains. We try to spend as much time as possible down, um, you know, uh, snowboarding Perisher and Fredbo, and then we usually take a little trip over over the ditch to to New Zealand to to go do some snowboarding over there. Nice. Um, which is, yeah, I, I mean, I love it. It's, it's, I think it's good to have a bit of a adrenaline Russian hobby, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's funny. I've I've always lived in hot climates, but uh, crew that I worked with overseas, Americans, lived in Colorado and invited me to come stay with them uh, oh, yeah. at their place. And when I went, it was February, and I think it was the biggest snowfall in twenty years in the United States. <laughs> and oh, I wow. I'd literally seen snow once in my life, never skied, yeah, yeah. done anything. And so I, I went from zero to a hundred. You know, they were having me cross country ski, snowshoeing, all sorts of stuff. Oh, I was like, amazing. holy cow! <laughs> That's such a good way of starting off. That's oh. just, yeah, that would be unbelievable. And and they call it champagne snow, right? It's that really soft, powdery snow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you can fall on it all day, and you're not. Oh, gonna it's hurt best. Yourself, which is amazing. It, yeah, <laughs> my dream is one one time in my life to have a white Christmas. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, that would be pretty cool. And where where would you whereabouts in the world would you, you know, that, ideally? That's, have actually, one? that's a really good question. I guess I'd probably go back and have Christmas with uh, my friends Evan and Jolene at uh, at their place in Crested Butte in Colorado. That that would yeah, probably nice. be a nice experience. Yeah, yeah, beautiful. Yeah. Now, who inspires you in the culinary world? Uh, when I was. When I was going through the ranks, I I pretty much idolised Gordon Ramsay. Uh-huh. Now I didn't idolise the way he spoke to people and how he treated chefs. Yes, but him as a chef, his passion, his creativity—it w- it was just really someone who I kind of looked up to um, and and inspired towards. I mean, like there's quite uh, quite a few. Um, well, there's loads of amazing chefs, um, but even like Michelle Rue Junior. Yes. He comes from a family of, of incredible chefs. Um, and then when Heston Blumenthal came on the scene, he completely blew my mind. With oh, yeah. How, how he comes up with the stuff he does, it's just like, wow, like, how, how does it's your brain insane. think of doing that? Like, Yeah. Absolutely amazing. Scientist um, slash chef. Yeah. I mean, like, I think he was a scientist first, wasn't it? And then he kind of taught himself, like, he's a self-taught chef. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, just for, I used to love watching his programs. Like, I think he he does do weird experiments like how much oil can you really emulsify into like one egg yolk, for example. Yeah. Like, you know, you're told <laughs> oh, you can only do like 250 mil to an egg or whatever. But like, I think he ended up doing like the crazy amounts, and it you know it didn't split. But yeah, he he's amazing. That was always a dream of mine to go to the his restaurant in the UK. I've yet to get there, oh, but yeah, the fat duck that would be yes. amazing. Yeah, have you been? 
No, no, I haven't. I never went. I was disappointed myself with that. I will go. <laughs> <laughs> I will definitely go. <laughs> and what what type of cuisine are you currently uh, interested in working with? So I've just uh, I've I've recently came back from a trip to Europe, and Mediterranean cuisine is just an absolute favorite of mine. Yeah, I mean, like the the, the freshness of ingredients. Um, oh, for sure. It's just just absolutely amazing. I'm like. I was in in um in Italy and we just had a, a plate of tomato and some uh, local burrata. Yeah. And my God, this tomato just tasted just insane. Like a dessert, right? Yeah. It's so just, sweet. Oh, just and just so much flavour. Yeah. Think, you could just eat this tomato as as a dish and yes. just be like, you know, absolutely incredible. So the, the Mediterranean, I love Mediterranean food. And then I also love to cook on charcoal. So any yes. proteins on charcoal. And then when you combine those two together, which is kind of like, I guess when I'm cooking at home is what I'm kind of doing at the moment. Mm. Um, you just give this amazing freshness to balance out the kind of smokiness from a charcoal. And it, it just works. It works yeah. really. I don't know what you call I guess like a South American med fusion kind of style. Sort of um, slow cooking a little yeah, bit. Yeah, so we got the um we got the, the smoker in the garden where we do um mainly like whole chickens really. Like I've tried a brisket a few times, that's quite a hard one to master. Yeah. Um, and then you're stuck with a whole brisket, which like, there's only two of us that live in the house. You have to you have to invite the neighbors over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well that that sounds pretty impressive. I, I've cooked for Lots of uh, Texans. A lot of my guests are Texans, so I've I've been yeah. lucky enough that they've um, given me tricks of the trade for their seasonings and dry rubs and slow cooking yeah, nice. methods. So yeah, yeah it, it's a really certainly a cool area to work in. But Mediterranean food for sure. I'm lucky enough to be heading off uh, shortly to Italy to go cycling. So I will be indulging oh, in what you just said. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so good. Everything there is just. Oh, I, I put on loads of weight. I just couldn't stop eating. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. You just have to run around the beaches and go out and swim and yeah, stuff. I think, I think you're doing it right. Maybe I should go for a cycle holiday yeah. and then you can eat. You can like you burn it off. <laughs> exactly. Carbo loaning. It's allowed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, have there been, I, I guess it could be the experience you just mentioned, but have there been any standout dining experiences that you've had either here in Australia or overseas? Yeah, so I think the my best, I guess, formal dining experience was I was lucky enough to go to Gordon Ramsay's free mission style restaurant wow. in Chelsea. And and that that place was it was just insane. Like the like the food was amazing, the service was incredible, but the 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 small intricate details, like for just as one example, I went to to get up to go to the bathroom and instead of me having to move my chair back just suddenly out of nowhere someone came away from home and move move the table so i would just stand up straight oh my god and there's small things like that and you just think that's how how, it's done how did did he know like how how was he anticipating everyone's next move and it was next level it was yeah it really was and uh, that was such a an incredible experience um but I, I guess on the the other side, recently I've you know, been in Sorrento. We found this like kind of small family run restaurant which was on the water, oh, and wow. it, this this was not fancy at all. I think like, the tables were made of plastic. You know, you got that old school 
tablecloth, which is just yep. easy to clean. Yeah. Um, there's no uniform. People crammed in. You get a seat when you know one's available. Yes. And um, you know the wine was served out of a. The, the boxes, you know, the goon bags of wine. <laughs> um, I've kind of decanted into like uh, into like a small vase, which I guess kind of jazz up a little bit. Anyway, <laughs> so we sat down, and uh, it was just kind of amazing. I, I think as, a, as as chefs, we appreciate seeing seeing that as a family. And then the food came out, and my God, I was just in heaven. Like I've never tasted shellfish like it, but the mussels were so juicy and sweet the oh. clams were just like you could taste the ocean but in such like the freshest of ways and wow the, you know the pasta was perfectly al dente we had we had a gnocchi as well and oh. i just i it was just absolutely incredible okay excuse me a minute i'm just wiping the drool off the corner of my mouth <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm doing the same i'm, I'm getting hungry now lunchtime. <laughs> hopefully soon you you're gonna have to remember the name of that place because i'm going to sorrento and you're gonna have to message me the I, name of I, that restaurant i, I definitely message you. I, i'll find it and i highly highly recommend it. i will it's, be going there really incredible. and i will send yeah, pictures amazing. to prove it yeah yeah yes amazing <laughs> Now, where, where do you see yourself? I mean, your your career is so eclectic in what you do, but do you have a vision of where you might be in five years? Yes, I, I'd love to. I'd love to own like a little little beachfront wine bar that serves kind of small tapas, uh, you know, style share plates. Nice. Um, you know, Australia has some really amazing wines. I think when I was in England, you just always imagined Australian wine to be a kind of over uh, oak chardonnay. Yes, which was just like very, very heavily oak. But you know, you, you come here. I love going to the Hunter Valley. You know, you got the Barossa, you got McLaren Vale. So many amazing vineyards here, and mm. you know, to showcase those wines, and then just kind of like complement them with with some small share plates would just be. But I guess that that would be my my ideal. Um, Where, what area of Australia do you think that would be? I would love it to be on the northern beaches. Oh, that'd be nice. Yeah, but I mean, like. There's there's also a part of me that thinks the the the, the, the beaches are kind of shuts down a little bit early. Yeah. Um, there's not really too much to do after say like nine p.m. in terms of like wine bars restaurants, um, unless you you kind of you're in you're in Manly. Um, so I don't know. Like location is you know to be confirmed. Like I said, I'd love it to be the, the northern beaches. As I, I love it here. But, um, or, or maybe Byron Bay because there's never enough restaurants or cafes there. Oh, I love Byron Bay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love going Every Byron person Bay. on the planet. <laughs> <laughs> my favourite restaurant in Byron Bay closed down. I was so what? disappointed. Yeah, it's called St. Elmo. It oh. was, again, a lovely little tapas place, real good wines, good cocktails. And just uh, me and my partner, son, we just had some amazing dinners there. And we went back there a couple of years and it was closed. We're like, no. Oh God! Well, see now there's an opening for something similar from you, or not similar, yeah, but yeah, your yeah. your vision. Yeah, my take on it. No, Bar is such a chill place as well. It is. It's it's incredible. If I ever win the lottery, that's the goal for me. Yeah. Wow. Uh, have you had a chance to visit Tasmania at all? I've never been down there. It's, it's on the. T- I would love to go down there. I've just heard amazing things. You know, food, food and you wine scene down there. Totally, it is yeah. ridiculously off the chain. Amazing, everything, all the all the the fresh produce, and the, I can't rave about it enough. And I'm embarrassed to say that it took me coming back to Australia over COVID to actually visit for the first time in my oh, life. Really? And yeah, oh, wow, so I think good. a lot of Australians do kind of uh, dismiss it as a as a location to visit. Yeah. Um, yeah, I and it's, it's spectacular. Mainland, 
yeah, it's definitely yeah. definitely uh, add that to your list of of destinations for sure. Yeah, de- definitely. I'd love to love to go down there. Now, Rob, this is a question that I ask everybody. Um, you're hosting a dinner party at home, and you can invite famous people, living or dead, that might inspire you in some way. Who would mm-hmm. they be, and what's on the menu? Okay, so no pressure. Ooh, that's, that's a good question. Uh, <laughs> you could go many avenues here. Um, yes. I I think the first the first guest would be Peter Gilmore. Ah, because um, because if I'd love to know more about Australian native ingredients and how yes. to work them, and he he's a bit of a genius in in that department. His 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 restaurant um, key is you know you look at his menu and it's got so many native ingredients on it, um, and it's just something I would love to learn more about. So I think yes. he would, and he just seems like a really nice person as well, like really chilled and. I just feel like you'd have a good chat with him. Good choice. Uh, and then I would go with Josh Nyland. Very cool. Who is the absolute genius with all things seafood and, you know, how I he does I could watch him does. cut up a piece of fish for days. I know, right? Like, yeah. how does he do it? It is it's just amazing. Like, and yeah. again, it goes to that thing of like, how did you get this fish and, and start to kind of think about this? And, and it's yeah. just, you know, absolutely amazing. Um and then the, the third guest would be Claire Smith. Um, who, who is who Claire was Smith? The, so she, she was the first female chef in the UK to get three Michelin stars. Wow. She worked under she, – she worked for Gordon Ramsay's freestyle restaurant. She was a head chef, I think, for – don't quote me on this, I want to say about 10 years. And then wow. she opened up her own restaurant in London called Core. And then more recently, I think a year or two, maybe a year ago, she opened up Encore in Sydney. So I would love to, uh, which now has free hats. So it'd be really wow. interesting to see how opening a restaurant in London differed to her opening one in Sydney and like the the challenges she faced and whether she could just replicate dishes or whether she had to do more of a Australian twist on on her cooking. Yeah. Um, so that would be the free guess. And going back to so the food style, which I love, is just all small share plates in the middle of a table. Perfect. Because when you have the food in the middle, it just has this incredibly, like, an incredible ability to kind of bring people together through conversation. And then not just about food, but about about everything. Like, if it's just like a little nibble in the table, it's just, you're already engaged in conversation. I, I agree 100%. It, it, it puts people at ease. There's, there's, yeah. Obviously, plated is lovely, but there's a bit more stiffness in that environment. And what you described, yeah, yeah is, is I think, a far more wonderful way of, of having a shared dining experience. Yeah, I, I love it. Like a nice nice bottle of wine in the middle of a table, some, some food. You could just chat away for hours and hours and hours. Oh, for sure, definitely. Now, Rob, we've talked about all these amazing things that you do. How can people find you to book you? Yeah, so um, I guess like the, my main service is, um, is often bespoke menus to clients. So, mm-hmm. for example, if, if you're going to host a dinner party, um, I tend to get a bit of a preference sheet going. I find out your likes, dislikes, your allergies, um, what your guests enjoy, what they don't. And then I'll create kind of several menus for you to choose from. And right. then, yeah, we come to your, the venue of your choice, whether it be, you know, your house or, or, or a yacht. Um, a high venue and we kind of execute it so all those inquiries um, just you know send an email to chefrobbellamy at gmail.com and then if people want to kind of 
keep up with my day-to-day freelancing and private cooking then my my social page um i've got instagram and a tiktok which is at chef.robbellamy I'm going to have to join your TikTok now. I didn't realise you had one. I'm, I'm, oh, I'll stop. The, yeah, the, the TikTok, God. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think the Instagram's a bit more professional. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was going to say, like I, I've, been, <laughs> <laughs> I've been stalking enough on the Instagram. Now it's time to check out the TikTok. I love TikTok. <laughs> I, I, I get stuck on that for hours. You can, can You can get a lot. I'm actually a bit scared of TikTok. I feel like... <laughs> I feel like you need to set an alarm, like give a five minutes, <laughs> otherwise next minute you're scrolling for like an hour. Like, that is so oh, true. <laughs> oh, my God. I, I Sometimes it's four in the morning. I'm like, seriously, girl, you are working tomorrow <laughs> yeah. in like a couple of hours. <laughs> Stop watching food videos. <laughs> exactly. Yep. It's another cake decorating video. Just enough yeah. already. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, which, uh, which pie does have I in there? And then you always forget the next day. You're like, oh, what yep. was it? And like, <laughs> <laughs> I have I have got good at sending videos to myself so I can go back later and just you know, yeah, nice. work with their techniques. Yeah, 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 yeah. That that save button's pretty ha- pretty handy. It is. You go it back is. like a couple of weeks later and you're like, oh yeah, I, I forgot. I, I enjoyed this video. <laughs> <laughs> Rob, I want to thank you very much for taking the time out of your day to to chat to us. Um, oh, my, you- my absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're welcome. You were wonderful and I'm excited for everyone to hear all your amazing stories. Yeah, so, well, we'll keep, we keep them going. <laughs> absolutely. Listen, have a wonderful day. I, I don't know what the weather's like in Sydney here in Brisbane. It's sunny as usual. Always sunny out there. Yeah, we've got a beautiful day today. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. Well, listen, have a, have a good one and, and great chatting. Thanks so much, Lisa. Take care. Bye. Before I go, if you'd like to hear more information on today's podcast or you have any questions at all for me, you can contact me at my website, lisamead.com, L-I-S-A-M-E-A-D.com. Don't forget to subscribe or follow wherever you listen to your podcasts and you can even follow me at Chef Lisa Mead on Instagram. Until next time, I'm Chef Lisa Mead and you've been listening to Tales of a Luxury Yacht Chef.